Women in Diplomacy podcast. I'm Kelsey Sumnick, founder of the Foreign Policy Project. And I'm Lucy Goulet, founder of uh, Women in Foreign Policy. And this is our November podcast. Today, our guest is Nora Hoffman of Chiron. Hi, Nora. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to kick it off just with telling us a little bit about Chiron? Sure. So Chiron um, is, an, is a social startup based in Berlin, providing access to higher education worldwide for refugee students. Um, and what we're doing is uh, um, a digital tool which supports students on their way to higher education. Um, we started this project uh, about one and a half years ago, um, and we're now yeah, rolling it out into different countries in Europe and also um, in Jordan and Turkey. What is your role at Chiron? I'm leading the public affairs department at Chiron. Um, this contains a lot of different tasks, actually. Um, so I'm, my main role is working with NGOs. So I figure out how we can cooperate with NGOs in different levels in order to supplement our program that we're offering for Chiron students with additional opportunities. For example, we're cooperating, cooperating with local NGOs who are supporting study rooms where our students can meet and study together. Um, but on, on an international level, we're also cooperating with um, NGOs, for example, for projects in Jordan um, or, um, or Turkey. So this means we're both on a local level, but also on an international level in touch with NGOs and intergovernmental organizations, um, such as UNHCR, who we are in touch with for information regarding our students and their situation. Very exciting. Now, one of the statistics that really jumped out at us um, on your website is that less than 1% of refugees globally have access to higher education. So we obviously felt that Chiron's unique uh, blended learning technique of using the digital to do online learning and coupling it with offline learning and community building was a really strong example of the power of technology in foreign policy. What changes do you feel tech and digital has already achieved for foreign policy? What I think tech achieved in foreign policy is mainly the opportunity to build a strong network on international level um, of different stakeholders. So with tech, um, we have different tools how we can work together on different levels um, regarding communication um, about policies that affect, for example, in our case, our students. Um, and it makes it way easier to communicate um, and access information through digital tools. So everyone is at the same time informed um, about what happens on, on another policy level. So distributing information and accessing them really quickly helps a lot and actually moving forward quickly when there's a challenge out there which needs to be addressed right now and not um, in a very long time scale. I think this is the main approach that I see that tech gives us. Not even 1% of uh, refugees 
have access to higher education. So obviously they are in a country which isn't theirs, like speaking a language which isn't necessarily theirs either. What are the key challenges that Chiron is addressing? Our students are mainly facing four challenges when they're trying to access higher education. And the first one I see is documentation. For a lot of our students, it means a high barrier uh, when they're trying to access higher education, that they don't have all documents that are necessary with them. That means someone who left their country because there's a war, in many cases, doesn't bring, for example, their high school certificates with them. Um, because that's not just not the first thing you think of when you're running away from war. Um, so our students need, when they're trying to access German universities, a high school diploma or something equivalent. And if they don't bring it, it's hard to get around. Another, um, another document that needs to be provided is something regarding their legal status. Um, and this takes a lot of time. From the point when a person enters the country until their legal status is fixed, it sometimes needs two years. And in that time, it's really hard to do something. Our students are in a sort of limbo in many cases and are not really able to act and to um, yeah, move freely in the sense that they um, can act and um, work, learn, study, access courses in the, way, in the way that they would like to. The second challenge that we are facing is regarding language. When students are trying to access universities here, they need to have at least a C2 or C1 level of German, which takes at least one or two years to achieve, um, as German is not a very easy language. Um, and that also limits, again, this, their speed um, when they're trying to start studying again or finish their studies. The third challenge we see is cost. Um, the journey that our students are making is kind of expensive, leaving their home, uh, making the journey here means for a lot of them that they end up with yeah, very limited resources. And even if studying is not very expensive in Germany, the living needs to be provided. And this means they need to yeah, be very flexible in the approach that they are when they're trying to study. And the fourth one is off the side of universities. Um, college capacity is a bit rigid. So that means university cannot um, just open up very quickly for many new people that are arriving here in Europe at the moment, which limits um, yeah, the seats for incoming students and newcomers who are trying to approach the system. So these four challenges are really um, a huge barrier for newcomers entering the country who are arriving with yeah, high um, aspirations, with a high potential, and who are coming and after a pause and after settling in here, a lot of them told us, I don't want to just sit here. I don't want to have um, a work that is um, under uh, my, my level of abilities. I really want to pursue a higher education. I want to get there where I want it to be and I want to continue my life as I plan to. Um, and I see no chance to access higher education. So yeah, we came up uh, with, with our solution of um, providing a digital access first and then transferring our students um, to higher education institutions such as traditional partner universities that we're working very closely with. 
is so powerful, especially given the current migration context that we're all functioning in. To have access to German universities, students need to speak German. So the courses you provide with Chiron, are they courses in Arabic? Are they German classes? Like, how does it work? Our courses are all in English, and most of them provide subtitles in different languages, such as Arabic, Farsi, um, also German, uh, because our student community comes from various backgrounds. 60% are, or about 60% of our students come from Syria, and we also have a huge student community coming from Afghanistan, Iraq, Eritrea, and many other countries. Um, so their background is really diverse. Um, and what we're providing is courses in English with the several subtitles and also access to German lessons, both online and offline. Um, because we know that after the one or two years that our students are studying online, they still need to um, provide the Eng English certificates um, or at least an English level that will be tested by universities um, of B2 or C1. So. We are not skipping these tasks that students um, need to go through when they're accessing higher education in the end. Um, we're just providing them with more time and additional support on the way to get there um, in terms of preparatory courses and in terms of, of language courses. So Nora, tell us a little bit about your own path and how you ended up being involved with Chiron. Yeah, there were actually a lot of um, coincidences on the way how I joined Chiron, especially my position that I'm in right now. I'm a trained psychologist, um, so I don't come from a background of international relations or something related, but more from yeah, a psychology background specialized in intercultural psychology and intercultural training. I realized that um, working in, in, in an international context is really key for me and um, I would really, um, yeah, always in my life, and I realized that after my studies, um, work with um, education and um, the potential it um, provides for students worldwide um, to, to, yeah, be a part of or to access equal opportunities because I think that's what education, if we break it down, comes to. It enables people to access a different world. Um, so yeah, combining the approach of um, education and knowing from my psychology background what it means for students to have the opportunity to access this field. Um, I tapped into Chiron uh, um, almost two years ago now and um, started actually in the organization when it was still very small. We were about five people with a great idea, um, trying to, to yeah, get supporters on board. Um, and as it is in a very small um, social startup, I ended up doing kind of everything, <laughs> um, separating all tasks with my 14 colleagues at that time. Um, and I ended up in this field because I realized um, that my background in intercultural training and intercultural psychology provides a lot of additional knowledge um, to the field of um, yeah, education and being in, in especially in touch with international organizations in this field. 
Um, and actually that's the case um, for many Chiron team members. We're coming from, um, from different backgrounds such as um, psychology or communication or um, business backgrounds. It's very diverse. And we end up training ourselves because we, um, we really love what we're doing. <laughs> this sounds cheesy, but uh, that's actually the case. Um, and we realized that, um, yeah, even if our background is very diverse, um, we're, we're all yeah, working together with this one goal and um, doing, doing very well in, in being trained actually on the way. So within Cairo, we're, um, we're learning a lot um, and going deeper and deeper into different directions. And uh, that's, for example, how I ended up in, in this field of working with um, international partners. Thank you. That, that was quite inspiring. And I think it's interesting as well to hear about your journey into international relations coming or foreign policy coming from a psychological background. So based on this slight career change, and as you say, a lot of coincidences, I was wondering if there was any career advice you would have to share with a young woman who would like to do something similar to what you do? Mm, I think my main, my main advice would be expose yourself to what you want to do. <laughs> I mean, mainly for me, I think it was working in international context during my studies and afterwards, I was always um, working in, in international or intercultural settings, for example, in South Africa or in South America. Um, so really being exposed to different settings, different international contexts, different um, organizations within these contexts helped me a lot to understand different organizations, their approaches, um, the way they work, their communication structure. And being in this context, I think for me was the best um, yeah, school. So the school of life is always um, the one that I can recommend most. Um, and the other thing is also... Um, my recommendation would be um, try what you love. So if you see an organization and you really believe they're doing a great job, just tap into it and um, start new ways of um, working on goals together with young people with aspirations uh, who are leading to the same goal than yours. Um, so yeah, just have an eye open for what you want to do and expose yourself. One of the major themes we see in tech and foreign policy is kind of the clash of, of innovation and of innovation versus bureaucracy. Do you have advice for young listeners out there that may be currently experiencing that in, in their own jobs, especially, I mean, I'm sure it gets really frustrating dealing with migration. Exactly. I, we, we're experiencing bureaucracy a lot, of course, um, in, when working with um, different external partners, for example, universities, governmental bodies. Um, I mean, everyone knows these organizations are huge and there's some um, bureaucratic barriers sometimes in working with them. So we're experiencing that a lot ourselves. Um, and what I can um, recommend here is really find the individuals in these organizations that want to work in a different way because they exist in all kinds of organizations. And um, yeah, 
identify these individuals and try to find creative ways together with them around bureaucratic barriers. Um, because this is really working from the inside and um, also inspiring people within these organizations to work differently. Um, we're experiencing that a lot, um, that partners um, realize how we work and then adapt these systems to their organizations. For example, um, we're working with Slack as an uh, internal communication tool, and we've been introducing this um, kind of involuntarily because we're just using it um, to other bigger organizations who um, are now working with it as well. Um, and yeah, see how these smaller tech um, supporters, I'd call um, these tools, can already make a big change. The other recommendation that I would give to people who are experiencing bureaucratic barriers is um, try to not be bureaucratic in your own organization. So at Chiron, for example, we're using an organizational model called Holacracy which um, yeah, enables us to reduce bureaucratic um, processes within our organization. This means we're working in, in smaller teams with um, decision-making procedures that are really clear and that are um, spread around in the organization. So it's not different departments, but really small circles working very closely together with clearly defined roles and processes. Um, and that enables us in a, as an organization to stay very flexible, be creative, even if we're now growing uh, quickly, and um, to, to really yeah, find ways around bureaucracy that are, that are more fun, <laughs> even if um, in, in an organization that is now growing. Of course, we are tapping into bureaucratic um, um, issues ourselves, but we're really re reducing it by by being a bit unconventional every now and then. So also be be um, courageous to be unconventional and use the organizational system that works with yourself. Thank you for that advice, Nora. I mean, it's been amazing hearing about your career and the work Kyron does. And I know our listeners are going to be so very inspired by your mission. So I was wondering, as a closing question, how can they keep in touch with what the startup does and also with what yourself are up to? So the easiest way to stay in touch with Kyron is um, following us on social media. So we have um, we are very transparent in in what we're doing. So whatever we do, whatever event we go to, whomever we're talking with, we try to post it as quick as we can on Facebook or Twitter. Um, so it's actually quite easy to really follow what we're doing on a day to day basis. And this means also that we're um, very open to meeting people. So in all our events, or so we're creating events, um, we're also attending events, um, and we're always happy to, to meet people there. So we're trying to announce that beforehand, and we're happy to um, also receive comments via social media. And regarding um, the contact to myself, I think if you're interested in um, in my work, in the work of Chiron, or in in my way of um, 
getting from psychology and a very different background to now working in an internationally operating NGO. Just, um, yeah, get in touch, email me, and um, I'm happy to meet you here in our headquarter in Berlin. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nora. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, and I'm always excited to be in touch with other women working in foreign policy because I think exchange on this level is very valuable for all of us. Um, so, yeah, hope to be in touch. Mm -hmm.